Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning. Good to see you. Thank you for being here today. It's almost a brand new year. We're finishing up this year right. This is a pretty a wonderful opportunity for us to spend our, our New Year's Eve. I know you've probably got more plans for the evening, but I'm thankful that you're here this morning. I'm thankful that you would take some time to be with us. And this is a, a, a series, honestly, that I've been doing year in and year out. I think pretty much from the first year I did something near New Year's. So we've been calling this series, if you will, if you want to call it a series, every New Year's, Resolved. This idea of having a resolution. This is the time of year where people, some people are like, I'm absolutely not making any resolutions this year because I never keep them. And so maybe that's you, that's how you're thinking. But I I think it's appropriate to have a sense of, all right, this is what went well in 23. This is is some of the things I'd like to keep doing. But it's a good time of year, I think, to be thinking, well, there's some stuff I really want to grow. I really want to change. That's not bad. That's, that's very a good way to be thinking. And we've titled this one, To Do One Thing. And so I want to challenge you today to consider just doing one thing better this year. Just one thing. And I find that most people can, they can manage maybe one thing. And this one thing is life-altering. It's life-changing. The title of this sermon, Resolved, comes from a famous set of resolutions written by a prominent Great Awakening preacher. You may have heard of him, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is a famous preacher from many hundreds of years ago who was known for his spiritual discipline, for his passionate speaking, for his, really, he was quite a prolific writer. And he seemed really driven, like overwhelmingly driven by by his devotion to God. I find him admirable. In fact, the way he would study for a sermon, I just cannot, I can't pull it off. I don't know how he did it. Uh, he would study for like 14 hours a day for several days coming up to his sermon. Uh, and he had a lot of children, so I don't even have a good excuse. Uh, the dude was pretty, pretty impressive. I'd like to blame it on my many distractions, but uh, that's not a great excuse, is it? He was... One who said this, he had a list of of several dozen resolutions, and here's one I wanted to share with you today. Resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it to the most profitable way I possibly can. This is the way this man lived unto Jesus. I really would love to live that kind of way. We're going to be studying today the mission statement, really the mission statement of the Apostle Paul. What a great way to start our new year is to get a new mission, a new mission statement. And this is what Paul has to say in Philippians 3. He says, this one thing I do, this one thing I do, is is the heart of his whole mission. And so, that I may know the power of his resurrection. That's where he spent time. We're not going to read all of chapter 3 today, although it would be a wonderful reading for you this week. I would encourage you, Philippians chapter 3, let it be part of your reading this week. But he says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings. This is a wild thing to say. And and all of this that I may grow in closeness to him. This is the way that Paul says this one thing I do. I wonder, friends, how about you? Do you have a singular focus? Probably not. Like me, probably not. If you're anything like me and the majority of people around you, you are really overwhelmed by your priorities, aren't you? There's... 
a multiplicity of things that you have to think about and focus on. Wife, kids, friends, family, work, health, bills, school, and the list goes on and on. Most of us have so many priorities competing for our attention that if we're honest with ourselves, maybe none of them are getting our best effort. All of them are getting a little piece of me. And I'd like to do better, but I don't know how. You ever walk into a room and forget what you even walked in there for? That's not just an old person thing, I'm pretty sure. It's been happening to me for a while. And so that, that has something to do with this competing thought going on in your head. You've got so much climbing around in there, you don't even remember why you walked into that room. Or you'll go upstairs without the drink you just poured. You're like, well, I guess i got to go back downstairs to get that thing I just went downstairs for. This is the kind of stuff we do, and it's because there's a bit of chaos in our heads. What if we had a singular purpose that everything else poured out of? What if, as Christians, we had a singular purpose that changed everything? That's what we're going to see today in Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, his mission statement, where he encouraged the church here in Philippi, and now to us, encouraged to make attaining Christ-likeness their one priority, just as he had. And we can do this. We can make attaining like Christ-likeness our one priority. This idea of Christ-likeness is that in every way we would be growing into him. That we would be following him so closely. Christ-likeness. Let's read the, the very short text to, today together. Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14. Here's what he says. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind... Straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. I hope this is encouraging to you. What a wonderful mission statement. And there's so much to unpack in just those few words. Just those few words. So how do we do this? What's the first way that we make Christ-likeness our one priority this year? Now this one... This one may be the toughest for a lot of you. Put aside the past. Put aside the past. There's a lot of great, great wealth underneath that statement. Paul begins his thing by saying, but one thing I do. He's saying this is my sole obsession, my sole priority, my sole purpose. I love what one commentator has to say. He said, Paul had one great aim and purpose of life. To this singleness of purpose, he owed his uncommon success as a minister. This is why he was so effective. A man will accomplish, listen to this, a man will accomplish little who allows his mind to be distracted by a multiplicity of objects. In fact, he writes, a Christian will accomplish nothing who has not a single great aim and purpose of soul. It's a wonderful thought. And Paul says, the way in which I'm going to get there Because listen to this, the first two pieces are really an aside. The one thing I do is this, I press on to the goal. But then he gives you these two nuggets inside of that. In order for me to press on to the goal, I've got to forget what's behind. What does that mean? What does it mean to forget? this, This Greek verb here is in the middle voice. This means this is something I'm deciding to do within myself. I'm making the decision not... Not that this is something, because some of you have been through some tremendously painful things and also some really exceptionally great things, and you may be tempted to dwell on either of those. The past isn't, 
When he says, I forget the past, he's not just talking about the negative. He's talking about the positives too. That I wouldn't just, just wallow in the things I've already done well. Also, I'm not just going to linger on the things I've screwed up. No, he says, I have decided not to forget them in the sense, this word doesn't mean that I've literally had amnesia. That's not what he means. He, he's saying, I am choosing to neglect to think about these. I am choosing to put these things out of my mind. This means it takes effort. That when that thought comes, another passage, Paul says, I take every thought captive. That means when these thoughts come to mind and I know my purpose is to press on towards the goal, I'm going to put that out. I'm going to put that aside. Now, for some of you, there's a lot of things that this means for you. I love what, what, what Ellicott has to say about this. One commentator, another old dude. I'm giving you a bunch of old dudes today. I like the old guys. Uh, but Ellicott's writing back uh, a long time ago. He says this, Past blessing is but an earnest of the future. Past achievements of good are stepping stones to greater things. Past sins, listen to this, are viewed in that true repentance in having a sure and certain hope of the final conquest of all sin. Do you see what he's saying? Past blessings are just helping me hope for the future. I'm not going to dwell in those blessings. I'll think about them at times, but only in the sense that they drive me to do more. I'll look at what God has done in my life. I will, I will look at that and say, but God will do more. I will look at where he's brought me and say, I'm not going to just linger on that and say, well, he's done. You see what I'm saying? I, I'm, I'm not just going to say, well, God's done a lot in me and I'm happy I'm content in that. No, God's not done. We just sang about this. If I'm not dead, then you're not done. You're in this room drawing breath. That means God is not done. That means the things he's already done for your benefit are but mere models of what is to come. And so continue to drive forward. Also, though, I love what his view of repentance. True repentance is me just looking at that going, yes, I've made some terrible mistakes. I still make mistakes. And yet, I know that when I ask the Lord to forgive those, he's already done so. He's already paid for it on the cross. It is done. So now when I look at them, I just see the future conquest of sin. And I don't linger there any longer. This is a way of thinking that was life-changing for Paul and will be life-changing for you. There's a careful wisdom here in this statement that what God has done is meant to embolden you to take the next hill, to take the next victory. And the challenges that are behind you are meant to build you up to make you stronger for the next objective. He says, what lies behind stays back there. <laughs> This thing that's afterwards, this, this stuff that lays in a time in the past. When the apostle here is saying, forgetting the things that are behind, he's thinking like a runner. Uh, this is a common illustration for the apostle Paul, is that he would be considering a race. You can go to several places in scripture. He's doing this again. He's saying, I, I'm not going to waste my time looking over my shoulder when I'm supposed to be running ahead. I'm not going to screw up the race I'm running by constantly running like this. Which if you've ever tried to run in a race, that is so inefficient and distracting. He's saying, that's not how I'm going to do things. He's not the first to say this either. <laughs> the Holy Spirit of God is speaking through Paul here. Just as we see Jesus saying, look at this verse. Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 61, yet another said, Well, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. 
Jesus replies in one of those really strong statements. He says, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, he's, that sounds kind of harsh in that particular story, but the, the premise is what's true, that, that when you're plowing a straight line, and I've not done a lot of this in my life. I've done very little. Some of you have done a lot more. If you're trying to make rows in a field, this is the illustration Jesus uses. It's that you don't do it like this. Because I guarantee you, and here's an interesting thought. Who, who in the room is right-handed? All right, well, you know what I should ask? Who are my left-handers? Show me my left-handers. Those are so rare. There's none. Sad day. Left-handed is pretty... You're left-handed? You are alone, my friend. Welcome to church. So thankful you're here to, to support the lefties. Did you know that when you try to walk in a straight line, if you don't have a point, an object in mind, you will lean to your dominant hand? Okay, I learned this when I was doing land navigation in the Army. Is If you don't pick a point some distance away, you're going to lean towards your dominant hand. And so... Even for those of us who aren't looking back, we're going to have a tendency to veer. And you would veer this way. This is a, an amazing thought that Jesus is saying. You're going to do far worse. You do this, I guarantee you, you're just going to start digging the funniest rows. He's saying, no. If you want to serve the Lord, if you, if you want to be a part of following me, I'm going this way. And he's the point. He's the point, man. It's not that you're, oh, I'm running my race. No, no, no. He's ahead. He's, he's blazing the trail. Now I'll put your eyes on target. And plow straight. That's what Jesus is saying. And this is the kind of God we serve anyway. For whatever reason, this is a God of new. This is a creative God we serve. This is, this is a God who's constantly doing a new thing. He doesn't really prefer encores. We see that in the story of Moses. We see that in so many places in scriptures that God, I think it's just his artistic nature, just who he is, likes to show us something we've never seen before. Listen to what he says to the prophet Isaiah. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I'm doing some new stuff. Do you perceive it? Well, you're not going to see it doing this. You're only going to see it if eyes are forward. You're running the race as he's called you to. Let that be your one priority. I know where I'm going. I'm going towards that man. And that man is running ahead of me. I want to share a story with you, one that's always fascinated me because I used to be a long-distance runner. I'm a terrible runner now. It's pretty sad. But in, in 1954, there was a, a man named Roger Bannister. If you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, it was kind of about that time frame if you will. But this man named Roger Bannister was the first man to ever break the four-minute mile, which is booking. In case you've ever run a mile, that's insane, four minutes. That was 1954. The very next month, a man named John Landy, an Australian man, broke that very record by 1.4 seconds. So he didn't get to hold his record, but for one month. And so the, in August of that very year, the two runners were meant, were, were, were were made to meet at this British Olympic Games, if you will, in a race that was later called the Miracle Mile. The Miracle Mile. As, as Bannister and Landy were turning on the last lap, coming towards the finish line, Landy, who had now the record, was ahead and looked certain to win. <laughs> but as he neared the finish line, he lost his focus and leaned over and looked back and got past by Roger Bannister in this famous game. So you can pop up this image. 
What's really funny is poor Landy thought he was on his left and then got passed on his right. Landy later said this to the, to the news. He said, I would have won that race if I hadn't looked back, if I hadn't taken my eyes off the goal. It's poor racing technique. It's poor life technique that we would constantly try to go forward like this. Some of you are living this way. This is how you've been living for a while. And it's, it's defeating you. <laughs> it's causing you to not really take any steps forward because you can't get over the mistakes you've made. But those mistakes, God has paid for. Those mistakes, God has dealt with. You've got to actually believe it. <laughs> you've got to take te- steps towards true repentance and say, did God's payment really, was it enough? Was it good enough? The answer is yes. Do you believe it? And if you do, then you look at those things and say, look what God has done in me and look what he will do in my future. I'm moving. Even the things, the blessings. No, I'm not just going to lean and say, oh, yeah, my life used to be great. Some of you are living that way. You're saying, oh, man, if you'd have seen me in my youth, I was something. Oh, boy, it'd be nice to see you in your old age. You're something now. Don't lean back there. Lean forward. Look forward. There's another famous story in the Bible that I couldn't get over this week. Genesis chapter 19. This really terrible story of where there were no good people at all in Sodom and Gomorrah. Their behavior, in fact, became increasingly wicked and detestable. And God couldn't manage to save any of them. Even, even though Abraham requested, hey, if there's, if there's ten people good in the city, would you save the city? There weren't even ten good. Some, some could say even Lot, who God saved, his nephew, Abraham's nephew named Lot, even he was a little bit, eh. But God saves him for the account of Abraham. And there's this fascinating story that the angels come into town and say, hey, God's about to destroy. He's about to get rid of this wicked, awful place. Lot, get yourself, get your family out of here. And the only thing he has to say to them, and this is in Genesis 19, verse 17, he says, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And a lot of you know the story here. They made their way out of the city, and yet one of them looks back, Lot's wife. Lot's wife looks back over her shoulder. God has an object lesson for us for some reason in that. She turned into a pillar of salt, which I've never seen happen. That'd be something to... If I saw my wife turn to salt, I guess Lot didn't know, because Lot obeyed, so he didn't turn around to see what she had did. He got up in the hills and went, where is such and such? I don't remember her name in the story. My bad, but... I don't even know if it gives it. Somebody tell me later if Lot's wife's mentioned by name. But anyway, that poor woman couldn't help but look back. Even though, So there's two things in mind here. Not only the idea that God has us moving forward, but also God has us to be obedient to his instruction. Will you choose, my friends, will you choose to put aside the past? With wisdom, can you remember those past blessings, those mercies of God? There's places in Scripture where it says, remember the things God has done. But not not to the point where they completely get you stuck. And you say, oh yeah, God used to be good to me. God is still good to you and will be good. God is still working in your life. You draw breath. I can't can't wait. Can you get this mindset? I can't wait to see what God's going to do in me tomorrow. What will he do New Year's 2024? I can't wait to see it. Instead of dwelling in past blessings. And in past brokenness, no, let it, let it go. He is paid. He was more than enough. Here's the second way. Here's the second way. He says, pursue the next 
step. Now, that might not be obvious as you see the words of Paul here. He says, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. And I made that pursue the next step. Now, I chose the words next step because of what the Greek had to offer here. This word, he could have chose a lot of words. He says straining. This is the idea again of a race where the, at the finale, you'll notice the sprinters and these runners will lean forward to catch the tape. That's what Paul's saying. I'm going to lean out towards Jesus. I'm following him as closely as I can. And I'm going to lean forward to what lies ahead. Now, Paul could have chose a word that means future. I'm straining forward to the future. I'm straining forward to this vision I have. He could have chosen so many words. He chooses this word that literally means the thing that I have in sight. I'm straining forward to the thing that I see in my sight. It's a little ways off, but I can see it. It's in front of me. So he doesn't have a vague vision here. Paul is saying, I'm leaning forward. I'm straining forward to the next thing I see God doing. This is, this is very important, church. This is very important because we have to be honest here. This is where we got to do a little internal check and say, there's some stuff, there's some Christianese that we like to use that is completely ineffective. I want to be more like Jesus. Great. What, are you, what does that mean? What, what steps does that mean in your life? That sounds faithful. That sounds wonderful. In fact, that's underneath what we're trying to, to talk about today is I want to make Christ's likeness my one priority. But if I leave it there, that is vague. It is lofty. I want to be more like Jesus today. How? Explain it. Paul's not saying that. He's saying, I'm straining forward to the next goal. That means the next challenge in my life. And so... There's, there's some things that we do in life. Say, I want to I pray better. I, I want to I speak to people better. I want to stop getting so angry. I love what McLaren, again, he was my fan favorite this week. The dude had a lot of good stuff to say. But in his commentary, he said, The misery is this. Though people know very well, well enough, that they cannot be good carpenters or doctors or fiddlers without certain habits and practices. They seem to fancy that they can be good Christians without them. This is an interesting thing that we do as believers, as as the church, is that we already know we're not going to get physically fit unless we lift something heavy. We already know we're not going to get great cardio just by by sleeping at night. We're going to have to to move. We're going to have to sweat. We're not going to get better at our craft. And almost all of you know this. You're not going to get better at your skills unless you work at them. And learn. And read. You might have to read something. Did you know that physicians and all of these these people uh, that are in an ever-changing world, whether it's IT, whether it's, it's health, that they're constantly having to do stuff we call CE. Continuing education. Why? Because... Information is changing. We're learning more. We know more about medicine than we did 50 years ago. We know more about the internet than we did 10 years ago. This an ever-changing market. And so guess what people are having to do? They're having to learn. And some people get so sick of learning, they do this thing called retirement. Which I'm going to get into in just a minute. But this, this, this ever-changing world, we already know in order for me to be good at my craft, I've got to stay ahead of the eight ball. But for some reason, for some reason, believers have made the decision, <laughs> this doesn't apply to spiritual things. And it does. 
It does. It, it absolutely does. The Apostle Paul instead here is saying, no, I've got the next objective in mind and I'm after it. So spiritually speaking, our goals shouldn't be vague. They shouldn't be lofty. They shouldn't be without boundaries. Yes, it's good to say I want to be more like Christ. How? Explain that to me. What are you doing tomorrow that's going to make that happen? I want to grow in my prayer life. That's a lofty goal. What does that mean? I, I, want to, I just want to not be so embarrassed around people when I talk about my faith. These are all good goals. Let me give you an acronym that so many of you are familiar with, I'm sure. And that is the acronym SMART. Anybody heard of SMART goals? People in the business world probably have heard of this. What would it look like, my friends, for you to apply this to your spiritual life? Okay, maybe your goal this year, just one goal. Uh, underneath, I want to be more like Christ. My next step is this. I need to know him better. That's, that makes sense. I want to know Jesus better. I don't know him very well. What does that mean? What's that going to look like? Well, the specific goal underneath that might be, I want to pray more. Okay, how do I measure that? What's the measurable... I'm going to pray in the morning and in the evening tomorrow. That is an attainable, a, time, a timely goal. Church, I think this is what the apostles did. This is certainly what Christ did in his life here. As he built habits into his life, the apostles did it. The saints of old, this is what they've been doing. Somehow we've removed discipline from faith. And we have to recover this. So I don't know what your goals are for this year, but if one of them is, I want to know Jesus, I really want to know him, then how am I going to get there? Well, I know for myself, here's my goal. I'm going to pray three times tomorrow. I love his word. I often, I often don't go to prayer. That's been my, my weakness for years. Some of you, that's not your weakness. We have, different, we have different things we're wrestling. For me, I'm going to pray more. How am I going to do it? I'm going to pray three times. I'm going to wake up with Jesus tomorrow. That would be a good start. I'm going to wake up with Jesus every day this week. When I put my feet down on, on the floor, the first thing I'm going to do is, all right, let's talk because I don't know what's going on today. There's some stuff, there's some curveballs coming my way that I know I'm not ready for. Smart goals. Turn your, turn your prayer life into smart goals. Turn your, turn your Bible study. I'm going to read for five minutes tomorrow. If you've not had any habit of reading at all, you've not spent any time in the scriptures, I'm going to read five minutes tomorrow. If you don't have five minutes in your life, come talk to me after service. Because you got to find margin. I don't know what's going on with you. You don't have five minutes? Whew. we got to cut something. Maybe that, that, that late night Netflix. And maybe you could pause that. Five minutes? Treat your pursuit of Jesus like a disciplined race. Look at Paul to the, to the, Corinthians, the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the, ra the runners run? But only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. This is what, I don't know if they still do this in the Olympics. I think they might. You get a wreath when you win anyway. He says, but that... But what we're running after is something imperishable. So don't run aimlessly. Don't box like one just boxing in the air. Discipline your body. Keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He's saying, look, I'm working at it. I'm disciplining my body. I'm not running aimlessly. So set your life's purpose 
on growing in Christ-likeness. Here's my one priority this year. I want to be more like Jesus, and here's the things I'm going to do to get there. And this week is this thing. <laughs> I'm just going to strain forward to this thing this week. And then we'll see. We'll see what the Lord will do. Here's the final, the final way. We've put aside the past. We're pursuing the next step. Now we're persevering to the finish. This is really what Paul's aim is. He says, one thing I do. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God. Now, this, is, this kind of had to flow out for me this week as I studied this. I didn't know what Paul was trying to say. This is quite a run-on sentence already. He's saying, for the goal of the prize of the upward call. I'm like, wow, this all sounds amazing. I don't know what any of it means. Press on, I got That's the idea of like pushing and earnestly endeavoring and I'm seeking this eagerly. I understood that. But he says this goal, which is, again, not a distant mark, but a mark that I can see. All right, so he's keeping that language. But then he says upward call. I heard that and thought, was that just for some of us? Is Paul talking about his call to ministry, which is unique? We have to be honest with that. I didn't get the call of Paul who was blinded on the road to Damascus in this fascinating way. And Jesus says, stop persecuting me. Come and serve me instead. This is this amazing moment in Paul's life. I didn't have that. I had my own salvation experience with the Lord. Is that what he's talking about? This specific calling? No. No, the upward call here is a calling to every Christian that is not only from heaven, but to heaven. One writer says that, that there's a finish line for the Christian, that, that it's, it's to heaven. I love, I love what one person thought on this. This is Melek writing in his commentary. He says, Paul lived for the day when the heavenward call would come, like a victory in a race. And rather than slack off as some were prone to do, the thought of it motivated him to further purity and service. So the upward call is this. <laughs> Either I die or Christ takes me home. That's the upward call. Now the destination is the same. If you're in Christ Jesus, you've given your life to Him, the destination is heaven. Either that comes because my life is over or He's coming back. One of those things, I welcome either. This is the upward call that Paul is talking about here. That means there is a finish line for the Christian. This is going to be a good one. I don't know who needs to hear this today. I'm not even nowhere near needing to hear this yet, but I will one day. There's a finish line for the Christian, and it's not retirement. Okay? Follow me for a second. It's not retirement. You're not working your whole life so that you can eventually not work. Now, we may in good conscience retire from work. Some of us, our health gives out. Maybe our mind gives out. There's a lot of good reasons to retire from earthly work. It's not what I'm speaking of. We do not retire as Christians. That means there's never going to come a time in your life where you say, I've done enough Jesus stuff. You see what I'm saying? We don't retire from that because that is who we are. That would mean I've retired from being Jonathan. Makes no sense. Yeah, I may one day get so old and so goofy that nobody wants to come hear me preach anymore. I may need to hang that aspect up. But I don't ever, I don't ever stop being Christ's 
and his vessel for his use. We don't retire from that until God calls me home or takes me home. I'm going to run that race with perseverance. That's what Paul is saying. I don't have a finish line outside of Jesus' return or my death. That's the finish line Paul sees. Yeah, I may, Paul was a tent maker. Yeah, I may get to where my hands are so feeble that I can't cut straight, that I can't do that piece. But I can tell you this, I'm going to preach Christ crucified until I die. I can tell you this right now, I'm going to boast in Jesus until the day I draw my last breath. So we don't retire from that. That means we persevere in that. That's what Paul's saying. I'm just going to keep working towards that. I'm going to persevere in that. I'm not going to tire of being Jesus' man. So be strengthened in the Lord for that. That you would be motivated all the more. Rather than slack off, which is my temptation, I bet it's yours. That, okay, some good stuff's happened. That's why Paul says, i got to forget the past. Because if I don't forget the past, I'm just going to like linger in that. And I'll slack off in the future. Oh, God's done some good stuff. Boy, I worked really hard in the past. No, 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 no. I'm going to persevere to the very end. God's got more for me here. Be strengthened in the Lord. Don't grow tired. Look what Paul writes to the Galatian church, chapter 6. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Run hard, church. Run hard to the finish line for the applause of one. To Timothy we see this written. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which, is, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. Don't, don't grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary of following your Savior. You don't retire from that. In fact, you grow in that. I think you get better in that. I bet you can consider this. Just close your eyes for a minute and think of some people in your life. You can think of those people in your life that just became more the older they got, more of what they always were, and they were always tough. They were always hard to deal with. And they just got more set in their ways and harder to deal with. But then you can also think of that person or that, that couple or those people that really devoted their life to the Lord and the joy and stuff that came later in spite of health. Because we don't gain better health as we age. We lose it. But that is irrelevant to what God is doing in our life. And you know some people like this, that they just got more pleasant, more joyful, more willing to talk about their faith. I want that for myself. That's what Paul is speaking to here. That's what the Holy Spirit of God wants for you, is that every year that goes by, you would not just not grow weary, but that you would run all the harder without looking back, but straining forward. Will you persevere to the finish line? You know, 12 scouts went into the promised land. You've got to go back to the book of uh, Exodus and then into the, the, the Torah to see that, those first five books to see those 12 scouts going in. And they go into the promised land and only two of them came back. 12 went in, but only two came back and said, hey, we can do this. Ten of them came back and said, there's giants in the land. They went into the promised land, the land of Canaan, which is modern day Israel. They went in there and said, there's huge people there. There's mighty fortresses. There's, there's, there's people of war. We can't do it. We've been roaming in the desert. Moses, we've been roaming in the desert. 
How are we going to roll up in there and start whooping? It's not going to happen. Two guys came back and said, we can do it. Joshua and Caleb. They understood well why they could do it. They could do it because we remember what God did. We're not dwelling there. We're not going to linger on that. But we remember, do do y'all forget the plagues? Do y'all forget? We've had bread falling from the sky for a while. It's kind of crazy stuff. So if he can do that, if he can rescue us from the mightiest nation on the planet, Egypt at the time, this impressive, powerful empire, God got us out of there. We didn't have to lift a finger. Then yeah, he can get us into the promised land. Only two men believed it. And so God did something fascinating. For 40 years more, he let them linger in the wilderness. Until literally that generation of doubters, that generation of non-believers, if you were, passed away. I do with that thought whatever you want to do with that thought. He waited until the next generation who said, yeah, let's give it a shot. Maybe they were just young and dumb. I don't know. But they were like, let's give it a whirl. We don't remember the plagues of Egypt. We just heard the stories. We didn't even see it. And yet we think God might do it. Let's go in. Joshua and Caleb, guess who lived? Those two guys. Joshua got to lead them in. Caleb's still alive. Caleb was a unique story in that he's already an old man. He's in his, which it's not old in today's thinking, but in that day, being in your mid-40s is already, you're getting up there in age because they didn't live as long. And so in his mid-40s, he comes back and reports, hey, we can do it. 40 years later, this dude Caleb's still kicking. I want to read this story to you. Caleb, at 80-something years old, 85 years old, says, I got this. I can persevere in the Lord. Listen to this. Joshua chapter 14. Here's what Caleb says. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said he would, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked into the wilderness, and now look, behold, I am this day 85 years old, Caleb says. And I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me in to scout. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going in and coming out. So now, I love this. So now, give me the hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how Anakim, the Anakim were there. And they have great fortified cities. It may be. I want to live this way, church. It may be that the Lord will be with me. And I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. There's a man in his 80s. said, I'm just as strong as I ever was. I don't know if that's totally true, but he believed it. I'm just as strong as I ever was. And it may be that the Lord will be with me and send me up to the most fortified area in the promised land. The hill country which becomes Judah, this terrifying land. He says, send me up there. And guess what? He does it. By the power of God, he accomplishes the task and takes the land that God had promised to him. I wonder, church, will you persevere until the finish line? Can you say at 85 years old, it may just be that the Lord is with me. That the Lord will do the thing he said. That's why Joshua believed it. He said, God told me he would do it. I believe he'll do it. Persevere until the end. Be encouraged in the Lord. Move towards the next step. If you've been overwhelmed this year with just a variety of focuses, feel like you've been led in a thousand directions, that's so many of us. 
Wouldn't you like to have a singular priority, a reorienting priority in your life? Make Christ's likeness your one priority. Put aside the past. Pursue that next step you feel the, that God's leading you towards. Growth in prayer and study of his word or in, in your outward uh, evangelism, in your, in your boldness, your courage. And then persevere. Do not grow weary of doing good. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of many blessings, the greatest of which is your, your loving salvation for us. That the reason we're in this place, the reason we gather it all, is because, God, you saved us in spite of us. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of the cross, what you've done for us. And we're asking now, Lord, help us to be obedient. Obedient to following you. That's what you've designed us for. You've designed us for yourself. That we would know you. Yeah, you called me to be a pastor, but that's not really what you've made me for. You made me to know you. You made me to be your son. Yeah, there's people in this audience, yeah, you, you, you made them to be good teachers. You made them to be good physicians. You made them to, good be, to be good law enforcement officers. And a variety. We've got such a wonderful variety of people in here who are gifted. And you gifted them for tasks, but that's not their purpose. You made them for yourself. That, that they would know you and look more like you every day. God, would you, would you help us to be obedient in that? That, yeah, you've made some of us fathers and mothers. You've made some of us to be good siblings. You've made some of us to be students right now. You've made some of us to be new parents. You've made some of us to be newlyweds. There's, yes, these are, these are things, but, but what you really made us for, God, is yourself. Help us this year to take all of those many focuses, and all of these are good. This, so much of these is, are, are good focuses. Help us to uniquely package those into this one big priority, which is I want to know you, God. I want to be more like Jesus this year. Help everything else to unpack from that one goal. God, I'm, I know it. I know it in my heart. I'm going to be a better father if I'm closer to you. I know this already. And yet I choose the lesser and just neglect the greater so much. No, Lord, help me this year to focus on you. And that, that will unpack in everything else. Do that in us this year, Lord, your church. That we would be known for how much we pursue you and desire you. That, that will impact all of our relationships. Do this in us, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.